This reading is from Genesis chapter 22. You might remember that in chapter 21 we saw the birth of the long-awaited birth of Isaac, saw the exile of, uh, of uh, Hagar and Ishmael into the desert, and we saw the uh, peace treaty that Abraham uh, signed and organised with Abimelech to enable him to live in the land of the Philistines for quite some time. And chapter 22 picks up after these things. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy and I will go over there to worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And in his hand, he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the, burnt, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So even today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, I myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, because you have obeyed my commands. Abraham went back to his young men, and they got up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham settled in Beersheba. Now if you can turn 
to the other end of the Bible, to Hebrews chapter 11, page 1106. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city that had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars in heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and he was offering his unique son, the one that had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to raise someone from the dead. And as an illustration, he received him back. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, it's good to hear the Bible verse so clearly again, isn't it? Uh, please turn back to Genesis 22. I've talked about prayer, so let's pray before we look at the scriptures. Our Father God, what a privilege to meet together. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that you continue to speak to us. We really do want to be changed by your word tonight. We don't want to go back to our homes, the same people that walked into this building tonight. Uh, whatever we need to learn, please teach us. Whatever needs to be changed in us, we are open to be changed. So do your powerful work in this place tonight, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a quote for you. The faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Look at that quote. The faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. What this theologian is saying is a true faith and real faith withstands even the most severest of tests. If your faith crumbles the moment you go through the, the mildest of trials, it's not a firm faith at all, is it? I'm assuming you've heard of a guy called C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called The, the Problem of Pain in 1940. It's a book about suffering and faith and how your faith withholds suffering. 
It is a wonderful book. It is theologically very rigorous. It's all true. But Lewis himself would say when he wrote that book in 1940, his faith had yet to be tested. It was 17 years later when his wife, Joy Davison, was diagnosed with cancer. Good godly woman. And suddenly the author of a book on suffering was forced to answer the questions himself. Why God? How God? What are you doing, God? And after her death, as he grieved her death, he wrote another book called A Grief Observed. And he wrote this. Uh, We're told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accepted that truth. I've got nothing I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it's very different when the things that happen to you and not to others. It's very different when the things happen in reality and not in your imagination. And faith is not just propositional truths on a page. Faith isn't about words on a piece of paper. Faith shows itself in action. Real faith in times of testing says, I choose to keep on obeying God. I choose to keep on trusting God. I choose to keep on living my life with God as my rock and God as my refuge. I don't know whether you've ever been tested in your faith. The Bible's pretty clear that if you're a son or daughter of God, you're not immune from testing. And surely you know that. There are times when you read the Bible and you love what the Word says, and you think, God, my God, is so good. I love what he says here. What a wonderful truth, and what comfort, and what joy, and what peace. But there are other times you read the Bible and you think, really, God? Because if that is true, what you're asking me to do is end this relationship. And if, if that is true, what you're asking me to do is say no to that job. And if that is true, what you're asking me to do is to avoid that temptation and to, to slay that sin, and to pursue that godliness, and to, to witness to that friend. And I don't particularly like it. On the times in your faith when your, your head tells you one thing, you say, I, I know that is true about God. But your heart pulls you in completely the opposite direction. That's the moment of testing. Who are you going to trust? Yourself or your Savior? And I don't think it's the, the, the major decisions in life where your faith is really tested. It's that daily decisions, isn't it? You wake up tomorrow and the next day and you're faced with a test. Will I take God at his word? Will I live God's way? Will I obey my Savior? The faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. And in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is severely tested by his God. Perhaps the most severest test of all. And the question is, will this great man of faith really obey God? Does he really trust God? Does he really take God at his word? Now before we look at the passage tonight, let me just briefly sketch where we've come from. So so Genesis chapter 12, we met Abraham and God said to Abraham, leave your country, go to the land I'll show you. And what did God promise Abraham? A people, a land and blessing. 
and Abraham obeyed. He went. At Genesis chapter 15, that covenant is reaffirmed. And God says to Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's a beautiful promise, a beautiful picture. But what's the problem? They have no kids. Sarah is barren, and they're drawing their pensions. And so they do this DIY job, and in in Genesis chapter 18, they they plot that Abraham is going to sleep with the maidservant Hagar, and sure enough, a son is born, and the son's called Ishmael, and, and God says, no, 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 I'll do things my way. Trust me, I will keep my word. Do you believe I can do the impossible? Nothing's impossible for God. And God opens a barren womb of a 90-year-old woman, and, and Isaac is born. And Genesis chapter 21, Hagar and Ishmael expelled from the camp. And all the focus of the rest of the Bible is, is on one child. His name is Isaac. They're not in the land yet. They're not a nation yet, but you've got the child. You've got Isaac, and everything depends on him. And now read Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son and kill him. (laughs) Really, God? You can't be serious, God. You cannot be asking me to do that, God. I know you're God, but this is crazy. Uh, God's quite polite in verse 2. Literally, the, the, the Hebrew says, please take your son and kill him. Isn't that nice of God to say it nicely? Do you feel the pain of verse 2? Please take your son, your only son, Isaac. I'm not talking about Ishmael. Take Isaac, uh, the son whom you love. Of course, Abraham loved his son. He loved him deeply. He cherished him. Take your son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burned offering. It's the worst type of sacrifice. In the burnt offering, the animal was completely cut up into tiny pieces and burned completely on the altar to atone for sins. And God doesn't want a bird or a sheep or a bull. He wants Isaac. And let me ask you, does obedience to God get any harder than this? And for me... I feel like my faith is being tested when I'm paralyzed by that decision. Will I uh, obey God in a relationship or in a workplace or by living this way? But this is ridiculous. This demand from God, it must tear Abraham's heart in two. Uh, Someone said, oh, we're not told how Abraham felt. How do you think he felt? Angry? Fearful? I imagine he just sobbed, didn't he? Verse 3, Abraham got up early in the morning, and I'm assuming he didn't tell Sarah. He saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his young men and his son, whom he loved, Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering. did that last because it's the most painful thing to do. And he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, so three days of walking, 70 kilometers, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
Now, I reckon it would have been easier if God had said to Abraham, kill your son tonight. But that prolonged agony of three days of walking step after step after step saying, surely God, you can't ask me to do this. I can't do this. Will I trust? Will I obey? For there's no other way. And they reach the mountain in verse 5. And Abraham says to his young men, stay here with the donkey. It's just Isaac and I from now on. We'll walk this mountain by ourselves, shall we? Look at verse 5. The boy and I will go over there to worship and then we'll come back to you. Two words leap out to me in that verse. They both begin with W. The word worship. The boy and I will go to worship. How on earth are they worshipping God by slaying his son? But the other word is the word we in verse 5. Why doesn't Abraham say, I will come back? Now, either Abraham is lying, or he has no intention of killing his son, or just perhaps, just perhaps, Abraham believes that somehow, miraculously, he will come back with Isaac, because God will provide. You're supposed to feel the pain in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he laid it on his son Isaac. Now, please don't think of a little boy. Abraham is probably in his late teens, early 20s by now. So Isaac carries wood on his back, the same wood he would soon lie on, like a condemned man carrying his own cross. And the father has a sacrificial knife. It's a horrific picture. Abraham and Isaac, step after step, climbing the mountain, the executioner and his victim, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And Isaac breaks the silence in verse 7. See the intimacy? Daddy, he says, here I am, son. Daddy, the fire and the wood are here, but dad, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? It's a poignant question, isn't it? Do you you think Isaac knew? Do you think Isaac knew that he was supposed to be the sacrifice? If he did, it's a willing sacrifice, extraordinary obedience. And Abraham's response is even more extraordinary in verse 8. This is a statement of faith. God himself will provide the lamb, my son. Either he's lying or he believes. I don't know how God will do it. I don't know when God will do it. But I, I trust God to provide. And they reach the place in verse 9 and Abraham gathers rocks and he builds an altar. Don't know how long that took him. And then he arranges the wood. He binds his son in verse 9, hands and feet. And again, remember, Isaac is sort of late teens, so Abraham's now about 120. Isaac could have run away. He could have fought his dad, but he was willing to be bound. And they laid him on the altar. And this is the moment of tension. Verse 10. Abraham reached and took out the knife. Look at the word. To slaughter his son. The son that he loved. 
If you Google Abraham and Isaac and look for pictures, you won't find a picture of Abraham looking at his son. He can't do it. His face is turned away. <laughs> Knife in the hand. And I, I, I imagine that the tears are, are just streaming and the, the heart is pounding and the lips are praying, please God, please God, please God, I can't do this, God. But he's willing. And we're not told how long the knife was poised there. How long did this test go on? But, verse 11, the angel of the Lord called him, Abraham, Abraham, do not do it. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you honor me and you obey me and you take me at my word. Even when I ask you to do the most gut-wrenching thing, you will do it. It's fascinating. The word for God in verse 11 is the word Yahweh. First time he's been called Yahweh, this chapter. Up until now, he's been the impersonal God. Now he's the personal, gracious, loving God. Again, someone said to me, oh, you hear nothing about how Abraham responded. How do you think he responded? Joy, amazement, gratitude. Wow. As he puts the knife away, his eyes glance a ram that had not been there before and God miraculously provides a ram caught in the thickets by its horns and that ram will be sacrificed in Isaac's place. Isaac comes off the altar, the ram goes onto the altar, a swap takes place because the Lord has provided be still, my soul, and the Lord is on my side. With patience, bear thy cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide, because in every change, God faithful will remain. So God provides, and there's a reaffirmation of the covenant, the promises of verse 15 onwards. Except this time, for the first time, we're told that Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Because let's be honest, you know, as numerous as the stars in the sky, that, that's a bit out there. It's much more tangible to say that your descendants are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. You can, you can grasp that a bit more. You just can't count them, can you? But this is a man of faith. Abraham's faith, with, faith was tested so it could be trusted. I'll draw out two truths for us tonight. Here's the first one. God tests his people. That's the word used in verse 1. God tested Abraham. Now, when you read that word test, please, please don't think. You know you, you've ever sat those e exams and you're sitting in the exam, you're thinking, who on earth set this test? Like they wanted me to fail. How they deliberately set me up for failure. That, that's not the idea here. The word for testing is, you know, when you've got a, a, a new car that's about to be launched, they don't just put it out on the road. They, they test it to see how to improve it, how to refine it, how to make it almost perfect for use. That, that's the word used for testing in the Bible. God refining, God correcting God making us perfect for use, fit for purpose. James chapter 1 says this. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials, knowing the testing of your faith. Same word there, testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance must complete its work so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. If you want to be complete in your faith, mature in your faith, God will often use testing. If you don't believe me, read your Bibles. Remember God's people, the Israelites in the wilderness? What did God do with them then? He tested them. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember the Lord your God. He led you on the entire journey for 40 years. That's a long test, isn't it? Why did God do that? He might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his command and obey him. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. He let you go hungry and then he gave you manna to eat. That was the test. They had no food. They had no water. Of course God could have provided. He could have provided in abundance. But God chose to test them. He said, I'll give you manna from heaven for today. But just gather enough for one day. And then the next day. And that, then the next day. I'm going to test you to see whether you're going to obey me every day. I mean, you pray, give us today our daily bread. Do you believe that? God just provided enough for today. Remember how God tested Job? That was a test, wasn't it? Took away his kids, his possessions, health. It's a beautiful verse at the end of Job. I think this is the key to Job, actually. Job 42, verse 5. And Job says, Before my ears had heard of you, and now my eyes have seen you. Think about that. Uh, Before I went through this test, my ears had heard about you, God, and I knew about you. And of course, I had a personal relationship with you, but it's almost like at the end of the test, I can actually see you face to face. I'm much more intimate with you now, God. And if you talk to Christians who have gone through severe testing, they will talk about how they're much more intimate with their God at the end of it. This is a test of faith. Because Abraham claims to believe all these things about God. Abraham claims to believe and trust that God can do the impossible. He's seen God do the impossible. He's seen God open a barren womb. But he didn't do anything then. And he spent the rest of his life saying, my God can do anything. I I believe and trust that God can do all things. And it's almost like God said, okay, prove it. Let's see, shall we? Do you, do you believe I can bring life from the dead? Does God ever test your faith in that way? You read something in the scriptures and you say, yeah, I, I know that is true, but do I really believe that? Let me speak a bit, bit personally. Like, Often I feel like the, the psalmist in Psalm, Psalm 32 where my sin weighs heavily upon me. And I've done the wrong thing. I've hurt people and I've hurt my God and I'm guilty. And I feel the weight of my sin. And you open the scriptures and you read the scriptures that says, you know, come to Jesus and he washes you clean. He forgives you completely. And it sometimes seems a bit too easy. Do I really believe that in God's eyes I'm totally forgiven? I'm set free. Yes, I do. Take him at his word. 
through the darkest times of my life when I read the scriptures, God will never leave you or forsake you. It sounds so trite, doesn't it? And you feel all alone. Where are you, God? Test of faith. Is he really there with you? Of course he is. Abraham's faith was tested quite severely. But he did believe God. You see that in verse 5. We will come back to you. I don't know how God, but God can do it. Uh, verse 8, God himself will provide. He's not saying he won't sacrifice Isaac. If you read the book of Hebrews, as we read to us tonight, Hebrews 11, it explains that Abraham considered God able even to raise someone back from the dead. If God was going to ask him to kill his son Isaac, then God was more than capable of raising him back to life again. That's amazing faith, isn't it? It's a test of faith. It's a test of obedience. Because it's one thing for Abraham to say, yeah, of course I believe that God can raise the dead back to life. And God almost says, prove it. Show me. Top tip for reading your Bibles, if, if, if the New Testament uh, refers specifically to an Old Testament incident, that's how to apply the chapter. Uh, and James chapter 2 quotes this and says this. James chapter 2 verse 20. Foolish man or literally stupid person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works or deeds is dead? It's useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by his works, by what he did when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? See, his faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was perfected. Uh, he wasn't right with God by his works, but his works, his deeds, showed that he really did believe. It would be easy for Abraham to say, oh, I'm willing to sacrifice Isaac. It's really hard to do it. And it's easy for me to say, I really believe that Jesus is all sufficient. He's all I need. The test is, do I act on that? Do I run to Jesus? Do I turn to Jesus? Do I find my security in him or do I run to other things? It's easy for me to say, oh, I really believe and I trust that God hears my prayers and answers my prayers and he loves to hear me pray. Prove it. How much time do I spend on my knees praying? It's easy to say, oh, I, I, I know God loves church, and isn't church a wonderful place, and what a, a gift from God to gather together, and one thing to say it, but then prove it. Come to church. Share your life, share your struggles, share your joys, share your faith. You know, they read the scriptures and it says, you know, care for the poor and the needy, prove it, do it. Bring some food. Don't just talk about it. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. This is a test of obedience. It's a test of love. What was the, the greatest commandment in the Bible? Can someone tell me? What's the greatest commandment? To love God 
above everything and everybody else. Love God above your family. Love God above your friends. Love God above your reputation or your popularity or your work. Love God above all things. Put him number one. I do wonder whether Abraham has started to idolize his son. Just a thought. Of course, Abraham should love and cherish and adore his son. Of course, he should do that. But, friends, we do not find our identity and our security and our purpose in anybody else but God. Do you love God above all, above all things? Prove it. The dearest idol I've known, whatever that idol be, help me tear it from thy throne and worship only I don't know whether your faith has been tested I, I do hope it has because the testing of faith means that your faith can be trusted I want to be one of these people who just oozes not just hearing about God but seeing God and knowing God intimately so, so God tests his people and God provides for his people what, what did Abraham name the place? The Lord will provide, and how, how his Lord provided. What did God provide for Abraham? He provided a substitute. He provided a substitute for salvation. You, you can't read this story without your minds leaping forward in history. Where does your mind go? It, it goes, first of all, to Passover, doesn't it? Just a few years later where God commanded his people to sacrifice their sons. And he said, I'm going to provide a substitute. Take a lamb, sprinkle the blood, and I'll pass over. What glorious provision that was. And in your minds leap forward to Isaiah 53, where the suffering servant is led like a lamb to the slaughter. And your minds must go forward to AD 33. You've got another son. The only son, the one and only son. The one whom God loved called to be sacrificed. And Jesus walked up Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the site of the temple in Jerusalem, the, the hill that Jesus walked up. And Jesus too carried the wood, an old wooden cross. And Jesus too was bound by his hands and his feet, and he wasn't bound to an old, he was bound to a cross. And Jesus too was a willing sacrifice. And the Father himself. Please don't forget the Father. The agony and the pain as the Father turns his face away. But this time there was no intervention, was there? This time God did not provide a substitute lamb because Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. Jesus was slaughtered in our place. Jesus was the burnt offering atoning for our sins. And that is the most miraculous provision of history, isn't it? You're sitting here tonight, like me, a rebel, being made right with God through God's provision of his Son. You're sitting here tonight, a sinner who's been saved by a, a glorious Heavenly Father who's turned his face away and sacrificed his Son. You're sitting here tonight, a wanderer who's been washed by the blood of his Son. That's the most miraculous provision. That's why we trust God. That's why we obey God, because he provided all we need. 
And without Isaac, there'd be no Israel. Without Jesus, there'd be no salvation. I wonder how Isaac felt as he walked back down the mountain. I'm guessing he was a bit ticked off with his dad. Dad, why did you put me through that? But you can bet he was full of gratitude, amazement, wonder, awe. Wow, I'm free. I thought I was going to be dead. And I can bet you that that day changed his life. And if you're here tonight and you've said that, that Jesus died in my place, that I should be on that altar, but I've been set free, that you must live your life. One of gratitude and awe and wonder. It's got to shape you and define you. What a miraculous provision that is from your heavenly father. What did it cost him? I bet his tears flowed as he sacrificed his son for you. If you are here tonight and you've never turned to Jesus, and there will be some, you've got to understand the cross. You've got to understand how much your heavenly father loves you that he willingly sacrificed his only son for you. But that's not the only, only provision in this, in this story. Yes, God provides a substitute, but, but also God provides his presence. You kind of lose it in the English translation, but littered throughout every verse almost is the word God. God tested Abraham. God did this. God said this. God will provide. It's almost like the writer wants to say, remember God's always there. God's there at the beginning of the test. God's there in the middle of the test. God's there at the end of the test because he never leaves you. And if you're here tonight and you really do trust and obey, your faith is real and secure and you, you want to live for Jesus and love like Jesus, I, I don't know what test God will take you through. But I do know he's with you always. I don't like being tested. I hate it. But it draws me much closer to my God. It throws me again at the feet of my Savior. And it forces me. It forces me to make the choice. Will I really trust and obey? Because there's no other way. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we, we just can't imagine the pain and the agony that you went through to sacrifice your son. And to think that you did that for us, you saw us, you had us on your heart and your mind that you would do that for us. Jesus, thank you. Father, we, we don't like some of the circumstances that you put us in and the choices that you force us to make. And sometimes our head and our heart pull us in totally opposite directions. But Father, please make us a people who do the right thing, who trust you, who obey you. Put you number one.
Please, Lord.